I would say today's daf is Yuvamis daf Tezvav. We have the incredible privilege to learn this daf together. I'm sorry that I can't be there with you in person, but it is an absolute suchos to be able to continue in this limud together, at least virtually. So remember, just to pick up where we left off, the Mishnah introduced us to a fundamental machlokis b'sham regarding tsaras erva. Halacha l'maisa is the co-wife of an erva permitted to do yibum or not? Beis Hillel said absolutely not. Beis Shammai says absolutely yes. That then kind of branched out into a general discussion about the machlokis in Beis and Beis Hillel, which then led the Gemara to ask actually a very fundamental question, which was, Asu or lo asu? Did Beishamai actually implement their halachic positions, or did they simply espouse halachic ideology, but in practice always followed Beishilo? That's the fundamental shayla we're dealing with. So says the we're picking up five lines up from the bottom. Tashma, Dam Rabbi Yochanan ben Nuri. Rabbi Yochanan ben Nuri says, Hey halacha zuravachas b'Yisrael. So Rabbi Yochanan ben Nuri says, I don't stand practically. Practically, we have this fundamental machlokus between Beisham and Beisham regarding Saras Erva. So you have again, Reuven is married to two women, Rachel Leah. Rachel is Shimon's daughter. Leah is unrelated. Reuven dies without children. So now technically both women fall to Reuven for Yibum. Well, we know Reuven can't do Yibum with his daughter. Right, so Rachel's out. So the Shailah is, what's the implication on Leah? So remember again, Beishamai will say there's a mitzvah of Yibam on Leah. Beishilah says, absolutely not. So let's play this forward. So remember again, if you go forward and you do Yibam according to, right, if you do Yibam like Beishamai says you're supposed to do. So Beishilah says, it's an Isra Erva and Isra Kares, the children of Ramzerim. If, however, again, you don't have Leah do Yibam and she just marries someone on the outside, at least according to Beishamai, that would be a love. That would be a prohibition. So if Yochai says, essentially, he's like, how do we find a middle ground in all of this? To which the Gemara says something amazing. So, if you conduct yourself like Beis Shammai and allow Leah to do Yibum, then according to Beis Hill, the offspring is a Mamzer. And if we conduct ourselves like Beis Hill, Ultimately, if you conduct yourself like Basila, therefore don't have Leah do Yibum. Rather, let her go ahead and just marry some guy on the outside. According to Beishamai, and that's in accordance with Basila, according to Beishamai, ultimately the offspring would be Pagum. Then I will say, for, well, the way we'll translate Pagum right now is lineologically impacted or damaged. What does that mean? If you take a look at Rashi, Rashi says, Dim Haya Kohen. So essentially, we would see that according to Beishamai, the result of this union with Leah would essentially preclude the children from marrying into the Kohuna. That's what's called Pagum. So Rabbi Yochai Minuri says, what should we do? To which Rabbi Yochai Minuri has a very simple, simple approach. It's, Ultimately, look on top of top line of Tezvava Mandala 15a. Rabbi Yochimir says, therefore, I think the best thing to do is do chalitza. Is do chalitza. Right? That takes care of everyone. Why? Because if, according to Beishamai, Beishamai says that legitimately Leah is chayeves in Yibam chalitza. So let her do, let, let her do chalitza. According to Beishila, Leah is exempt from everything because she's the co-wife of an erva, Tsaras erva. But Basila will say, but, but Rabbi Yochimur says, so what? So let her do chalitza. What does it matter? What does it matter? It doesn't, it doesn't hurt her. It just kind of is like a halachic insurance policy. So this was Rabbi Yochanan Ben-Nuri's solution. This was his approach. In a case of Tsaras erva, the only way to bridge the gap between Beishamah and Basila, because remember again, the ramifications are so intense because According to Beis Hillel, if you listen to Shammai, if you listen to Beis Shammai, 
it's an Isser Erval and it creates Mamzerus. According to Beishama, if you listen to Hillel, the offspring is Pogom because there's a violation of a lav. Therefore, Rabbi Yochanan Mamzerus says the easiest thing is, in the case of Tsaras Erval, just do Chalitza. Just do Chalitza and Shalom Yisrael. So the Gemara says, Lo hispiku ligmoras hadavar it's a very interesting phraseology here. Literally, they were unable to bring the matter to a close, to a decision, before literally Nitrafa the hour, the moment, was snatched away. Was snatched away. The idea being that Rabbi Yochai and Benuri has this great idea, but it's almost as if the Ribbono Shalom, right? Circumstances got in the way and prevented Rabbi Yochai and Benuri ultimately from trying to incorporate this approach. So Rambashimil said, well, one second. So essentially, Rabbi Yochanan ben Nuri's suggestion sounded like a good one, at least according to Beishamah. Remember again, Beishilal didn't like it because we already saw on Shabbos, is that for on Sunday's that I should say, well, Shabbos and Sunday, that remember, when we just, we can't be flippant about doing chalitza either because when you do chalitza with a woman, that gives her the status of a grusha, that gives her a status of a divorcee and that has an impact on who she's permitted to marry. So Rabbi Yochanan ben Nuri's never really got the traction it needed to be accepted. So ultimately, again, see, so here's what's interesting. So first of all, comes on Rosh and he says, but one second, one second. What are you going to do with the people who already conducted themselves like Beishamai? In other words, you're trying to figure out a solution. You're looking at the situation now and trying to figure out a way forward. That's fine. What about all of the women who did conduct themselves like Rabbi Yochanan? What, what, what about all of the leahs out there? All of the leahs who were all co-wives of an erva followed the suggestion of Beishamai, went ahead and did Yibom, right? Went ahead and did Yibom. Now, according to Beishilal, they committed adultery, or actually, excuse me, they committed Arias, Eishas Ach, again, it was a brother-sister's prohibition. So as Isra Erva, Kares, if done intentionally, Mamzerus, what, what do you do for them? What if you want to figure out a solution going forward? What about those who already acted in accordance with Beis Shammai's approach? Shabbat question of what should we do makes sense only if indeed Beis Shammai didn't only espouse the halachic ideology but actually acted upon it as well. Then it's a legitimate Shiloh. What should we do for these people? But if you say that Beis Shammai only espoused the ideology but never really acted on it, then what's the question of what we should do, of what should we do? There's no question, because remember again, although Beis Shammai espoused the ideology, in practice they followed Beis This would seem to point in the direction that Halacha Lamaisa, that Halacha Lamaisa, that, that Beis Shammai espoused the ideology, and, and ultimately practiced it. No, no, no. Ramachar Yitzchak says the Shaila, you see, we get a little bit carried away and we often think that they're, that they're focused on the offspring of the Tsaras Erba who gets married. No, we're talking about what should we do with the Tsara herself, Leah herself, the co-wife of the Erba. What is the appropriate approach for her? says, this is what it means to say. What it's really asking is as follows. See, the, 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 the ramification of accepting 
the the approach of Beis Shammai, according to Beis Hillel, is obvious. Because remember again, in Beis Hillel's mind, what Beis Shammai is telling you to do is an Isser Erva, punishable by Kares, which creates Mamzerus. Therefore, the Shaila really is as follows. What do you do with the Tsaras Erva, who paskin like Beis Hillel, in the eyes of Beis Shammai? What should you do with them? Hechi Navid, lehu, lechaltsu. So if you're Beis Shammai, you say to Beis Hillel, come on, just do Chalitza. Just do chalitza. Well, that doesn't work. Why? Now, let's say, now again, what we're talking about over here is as follows, just to clarify. We're focusing, we're, we're precision focused now on the Tzara herself. Remember, Ruven dies, leaves two wives, Rachel and Leah. Rachel is an erva because she's, she's, uh, she's Shimon's daughter. So now we're talking about Leah, the co wife. So in Beis Hillel's model, Leah is not subject to anything. So Leah goes in and marries Zavulun. She calls she marries a totally unrelated guy. The Gemara is now asking, well, in Beisham, according to Beishamai, this woman did something wrong because she married someone outside of her Yabam. She's subject to a love. Her offspring could be Pogum. What could we do to remedy this woman's situation now? What could we do to remedy Leah's circumstances now? So the simple answer would be, let her do Chalitza. Just let her do, I, she's married to Zvul and it's fine. Just let her do Chalitza right now. Can't do that. Why? Mim Asiagavrahu. Chazarabal say, Zvulun, Zvulun is not going to take kindly if his wife starts doing chalitza now with another man. Because the problem in Zvulun's mind is that then it looks like that there's some type of shade being thrown, you know, on, on his marriage. That 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 Lamaisa, that now I'm like in the shadow of something illicit that doesn't that doesn't look right. So it's going to cause Shalom Bayi's problems for Leah in her second marriage now to Zvulun. So you'll, maybe you'll say, who cares? Well, who cares? So let, let, let Shimon, the Muslim means be repulsed. So Shimon be repulsed by her. Fine. Fine, I'll cause him Shalom Bayi's problems. They'll get over it. Just do it. It's the right thing to do. But I say, this is so beautiful. The ways of the Torah are pleasant and all of its pathways are peace. The idea is that the Rebbeinu Shalom would not want us to engage in behavior that would erode the quality of one Shalom Bayis. Hashem would not want us to go ahead and compromise the marriage of Zvulun and Leah for the sake of satisfying the opinion of Beishamai. Tashma, Therefore, again, we're still focused on the same thing, which is when Beishamai espouses their position, are they just espousing halachic ideology, but in practice they conducted themselves like Beishilal? Or no, they took the ideology and they actually implemented it into the way that they practiced halacha. See, here we go. But I say, this is actually fascinating. Tashma, Dhamma Bitarfan, Bitarfan says as follows Ta'aveni, I, I, I yearn, like Taiva, like, I, I learn, I yearn. Mosai Tavo Tsaras Habas Liyadi, Vaasa'ena. When will I have the circumstance to marry my daughter's co-wife? Now, this is an interesting formulation here. So Rabbi Tarifon was saying, now Rashi points out Rabbi Tarifon was one of the Tamidim of Beishamai. So Rabbi Tarifon, this is, this is what he says, and then let's interpret what he means. What he says is, oh, I can't wait for the day for my brother who's married to my daughter and another and another woman, right? So let's say again, Rabbi Tarfon has a brother, let's just call him again, just keep everything simple, Ruvain, right? And Ruvain is married to Rabbi Tarfon's daughter, we'll call her Rachel, and to another woman, unrelated, Leah. Rabbi Tarfon says, oh, I can't wait till my brother dies and my daughter and her co-wife fall to me in Yibum. Obviously, I can't do Yibum with my daughter. I can't wait to do Yibum with her co-wife. So obviously, this Lushan seems to be a bit hyperbolic, and Rabbi Tarfo is trying to make a point. What's his point? The halacha follows Bishamai. 
So this seems to indicate that Allah that Eishamai didn't just espouse halachic ideology, but in fact, it was followed in practice. To which the Gemara says, Ema va'asiena. No, 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 don't read it as Rabbi Tarifun saying, I will marry her. Rather, Rabbi Tarifun was saying was, I will marry her off. Should my brother Chas Shalom pass away and my daughter and her co-wife fall to me in Yibum, my daughter obviously is not subject to Yibum. And Rabbi Tarifun, Rabbi Tarifun was saying, we paskin like Beis Hillel, that the co-wife of an erva is also not subject to Yibum. And therefore, again, I will marry the co-wife off to someone else. I avani kamar, but he used lashon of like taiva. I, I desire, I desire, I want. Taiva, I'm hungry. I long, I yearn for it. No, no, he used that lashon in order to go ahead and discount and really write off the position of Yochanan Benuri. Because remember, what does Rabbi Yochanan Benuri say? Rabbi Yochanan Benuri says, in any case of tsaras erva, just do chalitza. Just do chalitza, because that makes everyone happy. Beis Shammai is happy because they hold this woman was subject to Yibam and chalitza. Beis it's not going to matter one way or the other. So Rabbi Tarifun is coming along to say, we don't paskin like Rabbi Yochanan Ben-Nuri. And Allah is in the case of Atzaras Erva, she is free to marry anyone who she wants, and there is no need for chalitza. Tashma, it happened that the daughter of Rabbi Gamliel was married to her uncle, to her father's brother, to Abba. Abba was the brother of Rabbi Gamliel. So Rabbi Gamliel's daughter is married to his brother Abba, umes below banim. And ultimately again, Abba died without children. The yibim Rabbi Gamliel as tzarasa. Rabbi Gamliel did yibum with his daughter's co-wife. Sebo says, so again, sounds like, sounds pretty clear there, Paschalim like Beis Shammai. And Beis Shammai is not just espousing ideology, but rather telling us practically what to do as well. I have a tizbira, Rabbi Gamliel, but one second, is Rabbi Gamliel, was Rabbi Gamliel one of the Talmidim, was he of the students of Beis Shammai? Is there Bipashtos? Bipashtos, Rabbi Gamliel, was a direct descendant of Hillel. So it would appear that Rashi, as Rashi points out over here, Rabbi Gamliel is a direct descendant of Hillel. So Bipashtos, it would be strange to say that Rabbi Gamliel paskined like Beishamai. So the which the Gemara says, This is very interesting. It was different. Rabbi Gamliel's daughter was an islandess. Now, as I remember again, an islandess is a woman who's not only incapable of having children, but does not develop, does not develop the female qualities, right? Female characteristics. So I will say it is generally assumed that halacha lamaisa, a marriage to an islandess is a mekachtos. Essentially, it's a, it's a voidable marriage. A, a, not avoidable. A voidable marriage. Mekachtos. So Rashi points out there that the Mishnah said that in a case where the wife was an islandess, the tsara, the co-wife, is permitted in Yibum. It's permitted in Yibum. So therefore, both say that's the case over here. Rabbi Gamliel's daughter was an islandess. Because she was an islandess, it was as if she was not married to Abba, his brother. Therefore, again, there's no Tsaras Erva situation. So when Abba passes away, Rabbi Gamliel does Yibum with the wife, with the other the other wife, the non-islandess wife. To which the Gemara says, Here's the problem. Later on, later on in the Mishnah, it says that others say that the daughter of Gamil was an islandess, which sounds like the Tanakhama, the first part of the Mishnah, doesn't agree that she was an islandess. So how do you reconcile everything? Possibility, I will say, is that maybe when the wife is an islandess, it depends. 
Did the husband know about it before the marriage or didn't he know about it before the marriage? If he knew about it before the marriage, he knew about it, he accepted it, and therefore the marriage is, is valid. If he didn't know about it, ultimately, again, the marriage is in, invalid or invalid, excuse me. Hey, care about, so the Gemara says, hey, care about, hello, hey, care about. Again, I say the other possibility is, Kanos Ulubasov Garashi the other possible point of contention between the Tanakamo, ultimately again, and and the Seifa, the Achirim, what we'll call Tanakamo and the Achirim, could be a situation of what? We had this two days ago, that when is the Yibum construct concretized? Is it concretized and solidified at the time of marriage? In which case, if at any point during the marriage the brother was married to both an Erva, a woman who's an ever to another one of the brothers and another wife, that that other wife, that Sarah, is forever precluded from Yibum? Or do we say, no, the Yibum construct is concretized at the time of death. So perhaps that's the Machlokis occurring in this Mishnah as well. So the Gemara says, Yibai Seima, Kinei Salabasov, Yibai Seima, Yesh Tanai Babiya Ikebenayu, the other possibility of is, Ultimately, again, is there a Tanayim Bian? The case in Tanayim Bian, we'll discuss this in greater depth. The case in Tanayim Bian is as follows. Let's say a man marries a woman, and he says, I'm marrying you on the condition that you have no physical blemishes. And then it turns out, he has relations there, she has physical blemishes. So we'll say, so what's, so what's the, you know, what's the status then of this relationship? So one opinion says, Yech Tanayim Bia. He made a Tanayim. She didn't fulfill the Tanayim. She didn't fulfill the condition. Therefore, the marriage is void. The other opinion says, no. Once a man has had relations with a woman, he does not want his active relations to be relegated to a case of Bias Znos, an act of immorality. Therefore, once there's Bia, essentially the Tanayim go ahead and fall off on it. So we'll say, just three different ways to reconcile the opinions of the Tanakama and the Achirim in this Mishnah. Very interesting case. One time Rabbi Akiva picked an Esrug on the first of Shvat. Picked an Esrug on the first of Shvat. And he tithed the Esrug with two different tithes. Ultimately, again, one in accordance with Be'eshamai, one in accordance with Be'eshamai. Now, what is this talking about? Take a look at Rashi. Rashi is almost right across. Be'echem b'shvat. Be'shana shniyai nechneses l'shishas ha'isa. The case in question was when it was the year number two, going into year number three of the Shemitah cycle. Be'nohag ba' shnei isurin. Ma'isur sheni ke be'eshilol. Da'aminan tu b'shvat rashana li'ilana. So, remember again, according to Be'eshilol, Be'eshilol says the new year for trees is the 15th of Shvat, which means that on the first of Shvat, it's still year two. Because it's still year two of the agricultural season, Meiser Shani applies. According to Beishamai, the new year for trees begins on the first of Shvat, in which case the first of Shvat is already year three. And then ultimately, again, year three, you don't have Meiser Shani, year three, you have Meiser Ani. So Rabbi Akiva went and picked an Esrig on the first of Shvat, and essentially he tied it like second year produce, according to Beishilol i.e. Meiser Shani, and like third-year produce, according to Beishamai, i.e. Meiser Oni. Meiser Oni. So I'll say, what do you see from here? Shmamina also, it's clear from here, that not only did Beishamai espouse ideology, but they acted upon it as well. To which the Gemara says, Rabbi Akiva, Gemara, Rabbi Akiva, Gemara, is topically, for lo yada i beisilo be'echa b'shvat amar, obitu b'shvat amar, this is incredible. No, we pass like beisilo. We pass like beisilo. Rabbi Akiva passed like beisilo also. Rabbi Akiva wasn't sure what the position of Basila was. Does Basila hold that it's the first of Shvat or the 15th of Shvat? That's the Rosh Hashanah for trees. So because he was unsure about the sheet of Basila, 
he conducted himself in accordance with both tithing years. But that was not an effort to accommodate the position of Beis Shammai. Fakir, just the opposite. It, he, he held like Beis Hillel, but he just wasn't sure what the Shita Beis Hillel was. Incredible. So massive Marzucha. Marzucha raised the Kasha. One time the daughter-in-law of Shammai, the elder, gave birth. This was Sukkis. And what did Shammai do? Shammai opened the roof on top of the cradle, on top of the crib of the little baby, put schach there so that the baby should be in the crib. What do you see from here? Sorry, so that the baby should be in the sukkah. Shmami no asu seems to be clear that Beishamai did act in accordance with their positions. Hasam haroa omer la'afushe avir kavit. No, it's different there. But I remember again, this whole discussion that we're getting into, did Beishamai conduct themselves like their rulings or not, gets into the discussion of lotis kodidu. Losasu agudos agudos. Do not make different camps. Don't make it look like there's more than one Torah. Don't do that. But what we do see, however, is when you could accommodate another halachic position, and people could ascribe your motivations to something else, that's not a violation of lo sasu agudos agudos. That, that's not creating Judaic factionalism. We saw it in yesterday's daf, where the Gemara spoke about the minog, to work or not work on Erev Pesach. And the Gemara said, if you don't work, let's say you're in a place where they do work, and you don't work, that's not called factional Judaism. Why not? Because people will assume, why aren't you working? You have nothing to do. Same thing over here. When Shammai, when Shammai opens up the roof and puts schach, on top of the baby's crib, so Lamaisa, that doesn't automatically look like it's Shammai espousing his own ideologies. He wants airflow. He wants airflow. Apparently, it wouldn't have been so unheard of to go ahead and crack open the roof a little bit to get a little extra air flowing through. And that's what his that's what his actions could be interpreted as. Incredible. Massive Marzutra Masa Bishokes Yehu, Shaisa Birushalaim Vaisin Kuvala Mikva, the Khotaro, Shahayu Bishaim Nasana Gaba. Interesting case of Bosai. Shokes Yehu. Shokes Yehu literally means like the trough, the trough of Yehu. This was, Rashi points out over here, This was, I will say, a stone, a stone, a hollowed out stone. And in this hollowed out stone, it collected water. Collected water. Now, this was water that was flowing from the mountain. Flowing from the mountain. Now, watch this. So, what happened in, in Shokes Yehu? That's what was called the trough of Yehu, or the st- hollowed out stone of Yehu. Now, this stone opened up into a legitimate mikvah. Remember, a mikvah requires 40 sa'ah. So this, this stone receptacle opened up, right? There was a hole in between the stone receptacle and a regular mikvah. Now, we'll say we saw this concept before, the concept of hashaka. Hashaka means that if you have a smaller body of water that by itself is not a kosher mikvah, but it opens up to, or really it's connected to, it kisses a larger bona fide kosher mikvah so the attachment the kissing of the smaller mikvah to the larger mikvah gives kashros ultimate allows the smaller mikvah to be a legitimate mikvah as well so this shokes yehu was the smaller collection of water but it was attached to was kissing the larger body another larger mikvah and what happened and they used to go ahead and they used this to purify everything everything what happened? Beishamai says you have to extend the opening uh, between the shokes and the mikvah. You have to extend. They felt the opening was too narrow, too small. You have to make it much bigger in order to connect the two. So the Gemara says, Beishamai says that the majority of the wall between the shokes and the mikvah has to be open. 
The majority has to be open. Utsnan, yet we learned, Eruv Mikvos, how do you go ahead and literally combine or mix two mikvos? In other words, how do you accomplish hashaka, the kissing of one mikvah to another, to allow even the smaller mikvah to kind of piggyback on the kashras of the larger mikvah? It's very simple. Ultimately, all you need is an opening that is as large as the straw, really the circumference of the straw of a wineskin or of a leather skin. And how much is that? Two fingers, so that two fingers could go ahead and go in and out easily. That's the opening that you need for hashaka. Shmamina asu. We'll say so once again. What do you see from here? You see from here that Allah Chalamai said clearly, Beisham, I didn't just espouse ideology, but they acted on it. Right? They acted on it here. They're instructing the people to go ahead and widen the opening between Shokes Yehu and the larger mikvah. So it's clear that they didn't just espouse, but they also went ahead and acted. Amud Beis. It's different there, the Gemara says, sorry. So Hassam, it's different, why? The truth is, Beishamai was comfortable telling people to do this, why? Because when you see, when, when you, when you, when you see people open, widening the opening between the Shokes Yehu and the Mikvah, Shokes Yehu and the Mikvah, you don't have to automatically ascribe that to the fact that we're Paschal like Beishamai. You can just say they want more water flowing. They want more water flowing from the larger Mikvah to the Shokes. Good. So the Gemara says, Tashma, Domer Belazar, Bart Sadok, Kishai Silamitore, it's Rabbi Yochanan Horani. Listen to how beautiful this is. Rabbi Lazar Bart Sadok says, When I was learning Torah by Rabbi Yochanan Hachorani, it was by his Rabbi, Raisi Shay Ocha Pas Hareva Bemelach, Besheni Bitsuras. I saw that all he was eating was dried out bread dipped in salt, and this was in the midst of a famine. So all he had was some dried out bread and salt. Ubasi Vahodati es Abba. And ultimately, again, Rabbi Lazar said, I came and I told my father, Rav Tzadok, Amrali, Holech Lozesim. So Rav Tzadok said to his son, Rabbi Lazar, go take Rabbi Yochanan Achorani olives. Go take him some olives. Take him a barrel of olives. Dilo, I brought, so again, now there's Rabbi Lazar talking. I brought Rabbi Yochanan Achorani olives. Ra Osan Shein Lochin. He saw that the olives were moist. Now, what's the problem if the olives are moist? If the olives are moist, ultimately, again, that means they're That means they, they are receptive to tumah. Now, the problem just is that if they are being transported in an earthenware vessel, they could have come in contact with an Amar Aretz, a person ignorant of the laws of Tumantara, and they could be tame. So Rabbi Yochanan Achorani sees that the olives are moist. So what does he say? Amrali. Says, oh, thank you so much, but you know, I don't eat, I don't eat olives. I don't eat olives. Now, say, no, that's not the pshat. Rabbi Yochanan ate olives. But rather, again, he was saying, I don't eat olives because he didn't want to eat these olives because he, were con- he was concerned that ultimately, again, they may be tame. So, Rabbi so brought down in a Sefer Mishnah Srib Aaron, that Srib Aaron Cutler says something so incredibly beautiful. He says, Lamadnu Mikan. We learned something so profound from here. Godel hazihirus bichvod chavero. How careful a person has to be with the honor and dignity of their fellow. Sha'amar eni ochalzesim velo amar hachashash de tumah shelo yachshov kipigia bichvod shrab tzadok. Sebose, isn't this absolutely incredible? The Gemara says over here, we know the reason Rabbi Yochanan Chorani said he doesn't want the olives is not because he didn't eat olives, because he was scared, he was nervous that maybe they're tame. 
but he didn't want to say that. Why didn't he want to say that? Because he did not want the chas v'shalom in any way offend Rav Tzadok. Rav Tzadok went ahead and sent him this beautiful gift. So again, he doesn't feel comfortable eating it because Lemais, again, he's concerned about the Tumah, but he can't say that. I mean, he can say it, but he won't say it. And Rabbi Aaron Cutler says over you see from something so incredibly beautiful that halacha lemaisa, that halacha lemaisa, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, that even though Rabbi Yochanan Harani has nothing, I must say, just to be clear, Rabbi Yochanan is eating old bread with salt, which means things are pretty bad. Things are pretty bad. If, that, if that's where you're up to in your life, the olives would have been a welcome addition to his a life, a sustaining addition to his daily life. He didn't want to eat it. This was his own hakpadis. He was concerned about Tomah. But you can never allow your personal pursuit of ruchnius, or to say differently, you can never allow your pursuit for heightened ben adam lemakom to erode your ben adam lechaveiro. See, sometimes we think that in the pursuit of a higher and holier relationship with Hashem, I could trample over people, right? It doesn't matter, right? It's holy war. I could, I could do whatever I need to do because I, I'm, 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 this is all about God, all about God. I, I'm, I'm meshugah for God. And if I'm meshugah for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, whatever collateral interpersonal damage there may be on the way, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And it's not true. It's not true. Because ultimately, again, growth in Ben Adam Lamakom that is paved, that is paved with taking liberties in my Ben Adam Lechavero, growth in my relationship with God, that is paved with taking liberties and trampling on other people, that's not growth in Ben Adam Lamakom. That's, that's not growth. And it, it, it's, it's a lesson we have to internalize because sometimes we become so focused just on our Ben Adam Lamakom that we forget about the collateral interpersonal damage that's happening when we relate to other Jews and maybe Jews who don't even share the same level of observance with us. How careful we have to be in maintaining the dignity of every single Jew. Yes, I have to maintain my own behaviors and I have to maintain my own levels and I have to maintain my own spiritual responsibilities to Hashem. But I have to do so with a constant sensitivity to the other. So therefore, again, Rabbi Yochanan Charon, he's not going to eat the olives. Basiva das yes abba. So listen, Rabbi Lazar comes back and he says, "I told my father what happened." Amarli lech amarlo chavis nukuva haisa elashis Go and tell him. No, no, no. What happens is it was a barrel with a hole on the bottom. The goal was to allow all liquid to come out because they did not want the olives to get wet. Remember again only coming in contact with a liquid that the owner of the produce wanted to get wet. It's only, it's only if the owner wants the produce to get wet that the produce becomes But if the owner doesn't want that, then it doesn't become hukshur. It's not ready. It's not receptive to tumah. So comes along, so comes along Tzaddik and says, Rabbi Lazar, go back and tell him there was a hole on the bottom of the barrel so that it drains. It got plugged up with olive dregs. So because it got plugged up, that's how the olives got wet. But the olives are not It was never my intention that they should get wet. Therefore, the olives are not receptive to tumah. Enjoy them. Enjoy them. Utinana, we learned. If you have a brow that's filled with soft olives, Beishamai says you do not have to go ahead and make a hole on the bottom of the on the bottom of the barrel. And the reason for that is because, without getting into all the technicalities over here, Beishamai holds that the juice that comes out of the olives, not pressed, but the juice that flows out, is not the type of liquid that makes something 
Roi lekabel tuma is not does not make something receptive to tuma. Basil omrim tzri chalenake. Basimul says no. The juice that comes out of the olives can make something receptive to tuma if you want the liquid. But if you place a hole in the bottom of the barrel where it's clear that your intention is for it to drain, then halach lemaisa. It's not about modim, and everyone agrees shem nikva v'sasmua shmarim shi tahora, and everyone agrees that halacha lemaisa that if there was a hole and the hole got plugged up and as a result the liquid accumulated in the barrel, that ultimately that does not make the olives receptive lekabel tumah. Since halacha lemaisa, halacha lemaisa, you didn't want the olives to get wet. Yafapi shetalmid shamai haya, and even though again he was a talmid of beishamai, nevertheless kol maasav lo asa he conducted himself in every way like Beis Hillel. To which the Gemara says, If you want to say that in fact Beis Shammai normally acted upon their halachic positions, then I will say this case is a Chiddush. Because even though you have a case of a Talmud of Beis Shammai, he was conducting himself like Beis Hillel, and that's why Reb Tzadik went ahead and made a hole on the bottom of the barrel, because that again, Reb Tzadik himself, who was a Talmud of Beis Shammai, conducted himself like Beis Hillel, made a hole in the bottom of the barrel, allowed the barrel to drain. So you see this. So now, again, if you say that Beis Shammai normally went ahead and conducted himself in accordance with his own halachic positions, this case is a Chiddush, because this is a case of Beis Shammai, who's conducting himself like Beis Hillel. However, the Gemara says, But if at the end of the day you say that Beis Shammai never really conducted themselves, in accordance with their own halachic positions, they espoused the halachic ideology, but never actually practiced this way, then what's the great chiddush in the case? Tashma, Shalos Rabbi Yeshua. So I'll say, so again, we're still kind of unresolved. We're going through the same question over here. We have machlokis b'shamay b'shilal. We've taken care of the lotus go to do problem, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we're still trying to figure out, did Beishamai actually conduct themselves in accordance with their halachic positions or not? So Tashma, Shalos Rabbi Yoshua, Tzaras Habas Mahu. That's Rabbi Yoshua. What is the halacha with Tzaras Habas? Right, so remember again, Ruvain is married to Rachel and Leah. Rachel is his niece, Shimon's daughter. Shimon's daughter. Ruvain dies. So now again, two women fall to Shimon for Yibum. Rachel, his daughter. And Leah, the co-wife, Sarah, Sarah Sabas, the co-wife of the daughter. So they ask Rabbi Yoshua, what is the status of Leah? What's her status? So he said to them, it's a machlokas. It's a mishnah. Beishamai says, Sarah Sabas is chayiv in Yibum. Excuse me. Beishilah says, she's exempt from Yibum. So listen to this. So they asked Rabbi Yeshua, no, who does the halacha follow? Listen to this. Why are you putting my head between two mountains? Between two, such a great machlokas. Why are you, why, why would you ask me who the halacha follows, right? Why are you putting me in the middle of such a dramatic machlokas? Now watch this. Mesyare ani, Shema Yarutsu Galgalasi. I'm afraid they're gonna they're gonna literally again Yarutsu crush my skull. So this is interesting. So apparently, apparently, Rabbi Yeshua was actually scared that if he were to paskin one way or the other, that halacha he would be subject to sort of some type or he would he would be in, in danger, some type of physical danger. Aval, but here's what I will tell you. So therefore he doesn't want to paskin straight out. But here's what I will tell you. Aval ani lochem, but what I will tell you about is there are two great 
families in Yerushalayim, Mishpachas Beis Tzivoim Mi Ben Achmoi, the, the, right, the family of Beis Tzivoim, who descended from Ben Achmoi, these are people, or Mishpachas Beis Kofoi, and the Kofoi Mishpacha Mi Ben Mekoshesh, they are descended from Mekoshesh. Shehem Bnei Tsaros. So interesting, interesting, that ultimately, again, they are descendants of, of a woman who was a tsara to an erva, right? Let's arc, we keep going back to Leah, right? Leah, the wife of Rachel, right? The two wives of Reuven. Rachel is the Rachel is the daughter of Shimon. So they are descendants of Leah, Leah, who after her husband died, married another man without yibum and without chalitza. That's all I could tell you. Umehem kohanim gidolim and ultimately from those families descended kohanim gidolim, high priests. Who served in the Mizbech. So it's very interesting. So essentially, Rabbi Yeshua is going to say, look, I'm not going to tell you who the halacha follows, but what I will tell you is that there are families who conducted themselves like Beis Hillel, and therefore the Tsaras Erba got married without Yibam, without Chalitza. There, there is no Yibam in Chalitza. They married, and these are some of the finest families in Yushalayim, to the point that from these families came Kohanim Gidolim. Ultimately, again, Kohen Gadol, and Kohanim went ahead and served on the Mizbech. So, indeed practiced what they preached. In other words, they didn't just espouse ideology, but they actually held this way. Then it makes sense when Rabbi Yoshua says, I'm scared to bask him. Makes sense. In other words, it makes sense to say that, that he was scared that somebody would get angry at him. But if at the end of the day, Veshamai never really conducted themselves in accordance with their halachic positions anyway, so why would Rabbi Yoshua be upset? To which the Gemara says, And even if Veshamai did go ahead and conduct themselves in accordance with their halachic positions, what exactly is it that he is afraid of? Right? What is it exactly that he is afraid of? To which the Gemara says, listen to this, I'm sorry. of the opinion that interestingly enough, a mamzer only comes about according to if a man violated something, or if our, I should say a union was subject to misas bezdin. Now, both remember was subject to death at a court. Now, remember, that prohibition is punishable by kares, not by misas bezdin. Right, you don't put, you don't get put to death in Basin by that. That's kares. So, what is Rabbi Yeshua nervous about? If what he's going to say the halachas like the halachas like Basilal, and therefore what? You see, I would have thought what he was nervous about was Basham is going to get angry at him because essentially what he's calling potentially their offspring are mamzerim, according to Basilal. But Rabbi Yeshua himself holds that no, mamzer is only created by something that is punishable by death penalty in court, not kares and ashes ach. In other words, from from Basilal's perspective, if you follow Beishamai in accordance with Rabbi Yeshua's interpretation, the union only produces chayve lavin, right? What, 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 but won't produce mamzerim. Or I should say, it won't not chayve lavin. It won't produce mamzerim. So what is Rabbi Yeshua? What is Rabbi Yeshua nervous about? To which the Gemara says, nihi nami de mamzer lo havi. Pagum mio havi. At the end of the day, even though, according to according to Rabbi Yoshua, the offspring of Beishamai through the lens of Beisilel would not be mamzerim, they would be pagum. They would be pagum. And I will say pagum goes back to the status of what we call lineologically damaged or blemished. Now, normally, where this manifests itself is in an inability to marry into the kahuna. After all, the Gemara says, the Gemara says. 
Because the truth is the Kavachomer from Amona. What's the case of the Amona, the widow? So we'll say in general, the only person who can't marry a widow is with the coin Gadol. That's the only person who can marry Amona. Anyone else permitted to marry Amona? Bana Bina Pagum. If she does marry a coin Gadol and they have a child, that offspring ultimately is what? Pagum. That offspring cannot marry into the Kuna. Zu. She sura shava bakol. So this woman, i.e. the tsaras erva, who according to Beishamai is obligated to do yibum and doesn't do so, instead marries someone else, all the more so, all the more so, ultimately again, her offspring will be subject to, will be subject to the prohibition, uh, actually, her, her offspring will be pogum, her offspring will be blemished for the guna. To which the Gemara says, interestingly enough, kabominei tsaros, it's actually interesting. The question began, the question they asked Rabbi Yeshua was, what's the status of the tsara? Right? What should the tsara do? What should tsara's erva do? Is she obligated in yibum or not? And Rabbi Yeshua answers them, not with tsara's, yibum, not with tsara's erva, but rather again with b'nei tsaros, the offspring. The offspring. The truth is they were asking from him two questions. Tsaros mai. Question number one was tsara's erva. Does she do yibum or not do yibum? That was question number one. Question number two, and if you paskin, that we say like Beisil, namely that a Tsaras Erva does not do Yibum, the offspring of that Tsara, therefore who never did Yibum, because according to Beisil, they don't have to do Yibum, how would Beis, and now let's say again, Leah goes and marries someone else, how would Beishamai view that offspring? To which the Gemara says, "Lamai nafkamina." What does it matter to us? I'll tell you why it matters. Lemifshat vlad machzir grushaso lebeis hilal. Well, say I tell you why it matters, because what Beishamai is going to rule regarding the offspring of Tsaras Erva who marries someone else. Remember again, same case. You have Ruvain, right? Ruvain has two wives, Rachel, Leah. Ruvain dies. Rachel's the daughter of Shimon. So therefore, again, no yibum for Rachel. Beis Hillel will say, no yibum for Leah either. Le- Beishamai would say, Leah's chayev, in yibum. Okay? Leah goes and marries someone else in accordance with Beis Hillel. Leah marries Zvulun. They have children. What I want to know now is how does Beishamai look at those kids? How does Beishamai look at those kids? So you'll see yourself, who cares? Who cares how Beishamai looks at the kids? We go ahead and we pass like Beis Hillel. I'll tell you why it matters. Because there's another case, a parallel case. The parallel case of Beishamai is, a man divorces his wife, right? Ruvain divorces Leah. I'm sorry, I'm using the same names. Ruvain divorces Leah. Leah then goes in and marries Shimon, not Ruvain's brother, just another guy. Then what happens? They get divorced. Ruvain's not allowed to remarry Leah, right? That's Machsir Grushasa. You could remarry the wife you divorced as long as she's married no one else in the interim. But once she's married someone else, you can't remarry her. So she's married, she's married Shimon. Shimon divorces her. She now remarries Ruvain. So they get married. Now they have children. What's the status of those children? So the Gemara wants to suggest the way Beishamai would view the children of a Tsaras Erva who marries someone else, Leah, who marries Zvulun. The way Beishila would view, excuse me, the way Beishamai would view those children is the same way that Beishila would view the children of Machzir Grushaso. So I want to know how does Beishamai view the children of a Tsaras Erva who never did Yibam and Chalitza, Instead, went and married someone else and had kids with that someone else. How does Beishamai view those kids? Because however Beishamai views those kids, that's exactly how Beishelo is going to view the kids of Machsir Grushaso. To which the Gemara says, 
Do we see a Kavachomer? Who's not allowed to marry a Kohen Gadol, right? But that's all, right? She can marry anyone else. Yet, if she does marry a Kohen Gadol, ultimately, again, her son is her child, her offspring is Pogum. Then I'll say this woman, this woman, again, in this case, Leah, the Tsaras Erva, who again does have an Isser, or really ultimately, again, it's also the Machzir Grushaso, who does have an Isser, her child should certainly be Pogum, O Dilma, or perhaps you could you could also make a distinction and you could say, Ultimately, again, perhaps you could also say Amana is different. Why is Amana different? Amana is different because it's not just when an Amana marries a Kohen Gadol, it's not just the Pshat that her offspring becomes Pagum, but she herself becomes Pagum. So we'll say to this, ultimately, again, to this, Rabbi Yeshua responded, listen, I'm not going to get involved in the case of Tsaros. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to comment on that. However, again, I will tell you about B'nai Tsaros. Rashi says, B'nai Tsaros, Kaba Isu, Im Heim Pagumin. So ultimately, again, Me'elechem Rashi says, Shem Kagendolos. Therefore, again, Rabbi Yeshua Sanchi says, look, I'm not getting involved in this. I'm not answering your question about Tsaros, because answering your question about Tsaros requires me to directly insert myself into the Machlogis Veshan Be'esilol, and I have no interest in doing that. What I will tell you is that there are families who follow the position of Basilo, right, by Tsaras Erva, and they are the most prominent families, Kohan and Gidolim, serving in the Beis Hamikdash, and draw your own conclusions from that. So, so it turns out that we still haven't resolved our issue, our core issue, which is that did Beishamai act upon their own halachic rulings as, as, or did they just espouse halachic ideology? To be continued tomorrow, such an incredible schus to learn with all of you, such a beautiful daf. Have a great day.